Welcome to season two of Best in SaaS, where we talk through the patterns and playbooks in the revenue sprint to 20 million and beyond with the industry's most accomplished executives, entrepreneurs, and investors. Despite the world melting around us, we survived season one with only a few scratches and a couple of bathroom incidents from our resident Best in SaaS puppy mascot, Stuart. Wash your hands and don your favorite face mask because here comes season two. Howdy, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. I am thrilled, per usual, for you to listen in on this conversation. But before we get into it, if you're a regular listener and you enjoy the discussions, do me a favor and let us know by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other folks find the show and it helps Apple realize they should feature us on New and Noteworthy. So that would be awesome. With that, enough of my blabbing. Let's get on to the episode. Today, I am super thrilled to have Aheem Thomas on the show. Uh, we've got two firsts today for the show. Uh, Aheem is the first hand model ever to be on Best in SaaS and also wins the uh, the best, what do you call that, a hair tie or bandana? What is that thing that was on your head? You can't see it because it's audio only, but I have the pleasure of seeing this. What is that? I, I, I headband. I mean, it, it does add an element of speed. So yeah. You looked very fast. Thank you. Thank you. It's a, it's a pink head, headband for those who can't see through this audio only recording. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Aheen, I, I'm really excited to talk all things growth and marketing with you. You're the VP of marketing at Backblaze, um, a profitable company, over 40 million in ARR. And a moment ago, you were telling me it's like 90% inbound. So I, like, let's start there. That's, that's always a, a unicorn kind of tidbit to hear. So let's dig in. Yeah, cool. And hey, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, good place to start. And also I'll pick up on unicorn. We actually, uh, we call ourselves cockroaches. Unicorns are extinct. Cockroaches <laughs> just keep going. Um, Indestructible. <laughs> yeah. And then actually, it'll, it'll give, if you give me a second, it'll get to uh, the, the content marketing and the inbound piece, which is um, Backblaze is 14 years old. Uh, we've only ever taken in $3 million in invested capital. Um, and, and to your point, last year, we finished the year at $45 million in ARR uh, growing. That was 40, 40% growth year over year, gross margins over 50%. Um, so how do you do that? How do you build it brick by brick, which is like awesome after it works, but you know, pretty miserable in the moment to a large extent um, because you don't have a lot of cash. And so predating me, um, we thought, uh, we thought, okay, well, you don't have a lot of cash, so you better write some interesting content um, and you know, make good press pitches and all that. So there was that kind of commercial aspect. There was also the aspect of our five founders, all five of whom are still at their operating roles in the company, um, of just the like, hey, let's not be every other company. And, and so, yeah, that, that meant you know, eschewing uh, venture-funded uh, business models, which, you know, certainly have their merits, um, but it, but also have many downsides, including, uh, you know, growth pressures uh, when, when perhaps it, it isn't right for the business and, and the sustainability of the business. Um, so what do you do? You say, okay, well, let's actually publish what we think on our blog. And uh, some things that may or may not be re replicable, um, but it is how we got our start, 
we started looking around and said, well, what's interesting to us and potentially interesting to others that they don't have? Uh, and one of our uh, franchise, content franchises is what we call Dry Stats. We publish the failure rates of our, the hard drives on our farm um, every quarter. So I should take a step back, backways. We do cloud storage. What's cloud storage? In the end, you store data on, on, on other people's hard drives, that other people being us. Um, so you store data on hard drives. We're asking you to trust us with your data. And so why am I talking about how often my infrastructure fails? Um, and I'll, I'll happy to get into that. I'll, I'll pause and take a breath in a moment. Um, but so we decide, hey, people are interested in performance statistics. You, we have more hard drives than most. And the people that have more hard drives than us, Google, Microsoft, and Amazon, won't publish their data. So we said, screw it. Let's do it. See what happens. And it turns out the internet goes nuts. Uh, and it also turns out we are the single largest publisher of hard drive performance statistics on the planet. And when you can, you know, you can say hard drive performance statistics, you could say email usage, you could say sales phone calls. But if you're the largest publisher of data that people are interested in, then they're going to come and read it. So let me pause there. And, and does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I mean, <laughs> my takeaway here is is uh, have something that no one else has as far as like data that you can publish and then bam, 90% inbound. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right? Like it's, it's, it's good to be born on inside of a gold mine. Um, and so <laughs> look, that, that, that is very hard to reproduce. Although you'd be surprised how many businesses are sitting on that, right? Because if you're in business for the most part, and certainly your your listenership, you're, you're in a large market. There's interest in the mechanics of what's what's going on there because you know it's 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 an over billion dollar market, and you have you know three legitimate competitors and probably a hundred also ran. So like a bunch of people working on very similar problems. They want the data. They want and they want the insights um, because we all care about what we do. So so if you take a dispassionate kind of true what's interesting look uh, at your infrastructure that's how you tend to find these stories um, and this is the marketing guy talking like yeah I want to sell storage obviously but you know me just doing another puff piece press release no one cares um, and so how do we how do we start from a place of what's interesting and then figure out how to how to monetize so uh, you stepped into an organization that was already kind of using this as the strategy. What, so what, was, what were your first steps? I mean, what did you then seek to do to further leverage that or maybe diversify beyond that um, to, to drive the growth that you've been driving there? Yeah, and I, I, I want to underscore I stepped into it, uh, which is if I'd been in the room, when when the person pitched, hey, we should pub publish the drive failure rates, I would have said, are you high, right? Like we are in the business of storing your data. You want to talk about how often things fail. Like, definitely a terrible, terrible idea. So yeah, <laughs> would have been on the wrong side of history there. Um, so I had the tremendous benefit of walking in the door and like, oh my God, that actually works, right? Because I can, yeah, I can see the numbers. Um, and I guess that's the second big lesson, which is the vanity metrics of page views and uniques and engagement and all that are good and often leading indicators. 
but you got to be honest with yourself of whether or not it's driving business. Um, so, so how do I think about it? I say, okay, we're good storytellers. Uh, let's make sure that we have the people and the space to continue telling those stories. And what does that mean? Uh, the, the space is like, hey, if it's part of people's jobs and they can do it, if you're asking people to do it nights and weekends, you'll get a bunch of loyalists, but it's hard to, to scale it to keep it going. Um, to making it part of people's jobs and what people, I started my career as a songwriter. I had deep, deep fundamental respect for writers and copy editors and freelancers and all that. Um, but if you're writing a technical story, it probably comes from the engineer or the product manager at Backblaze. Product marketers are, are, are very sophisticated. And so the people doing the work are the ones that know the story. Um, and so making sure that that becomes part of the culture, not a separate organization. Um, and then the, the last, so make it part of people's jobs, hire people then who can do the job, uh, hire, nurture, and retain the people that can do the job. And then the third part that's unusual at Backblaze is we brought in uh, what we call the head of publishing. Um, I'm a big basketball fan. And so my, my metaphor is Steph Curry needs a shooting coach. I'm not as good, good a writer as Steph is a shooter. So I need an editor. We all need editors. And that's where you can bring in a professional, right? So we brought somebody in. His name's Patrick. He's awesome. Comes from a publishing background. Um, and yeah, he does, he, he does know a little bit about storage and it certainly learned a ton, but the, the thing is he is a great, great writer and editor. So the people who are doing the work can tell their stories and they go to Patrick and he helps polish what he does, what a great editor does. He brings a story out. He polishes their voice as opposed to making it some corporatized, legally reviewed thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. I love that idea. So are you, are you then like taking the traditional like account-based approach to going out and finding, you know, your ideal customers? Is that just not part of the picture there because you have such a strong inbound or is that another side of the coin here? I was starting it in literally 10 days. Um, so oh, wow. today it is not part of the picture. Now, the downside, so what are the upsides of inbound? Like, it's awesome. It's high margin. You, you get to appear on podcasts like this and get to take credit for you know a lot of other people's hard work. Um, I mean, you and, sound really good right now. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, the other thing, too, is when you promote when you promote people from the publishing world, like, you know, hipsters drinking matcha all over the country right now. Uh, you know, I have a high, high Q quotient. Um, so, um, but, but the more traditional thing, so... The downside of content marketing, like, yes, you do attribution and you do all that stuff. And I'm happy to talk about our stack. Um, but it's harder to tell who the customers are and particularly who the interested people are that we didn't convert. Because, you know, in the end, they kind of show up maybe from Reddit. You know, there's a data hoarder subreddit. Um, <laughs> my, my band's big in the Philippines. We're big on Reddit. Uh, the... <laughs> Uh, the, uh, you can kind of see referrals kind of sort of in there. You, you obviously do event tracking on the blog category, but you, you're not learning that much pre-customer. And then when you get the customer, yeah, you get the domain, which is awesome. And you can do data enrichment from there, but it's harder to build 
the true current ideal customer profile because you fundamentally have a lesser understanding when the traffic comes to you organically. Um, but the flip side, it's high margin and it works. And so that's awesome. So what happens is, um, you know, the business is going on nicely and it takes a little while longer to build up enough data and enough customers to build out what really is lookalike audiences. Um, and so one, you got, it takes you longer to get that, that data. Um, and two, it's a diff, you're tuning your infrastructure around that inbound. Whereas traditionally you spend a lot of time kind of tuning around the outbound and making sure you're nurturing and, and handing off to sales. Um, so it just, it delays a bunch of infrastructure work. Um, but we've bitten that off. Um, we're very, very excited to get it started. Um, and yeah, it'll be a journey because we are, you know, we're over a decade old. We have a great base. We have a great brand and all that. But like, the first time you, you, you do your prospecting, you're definitely going to be wrong. The question is how fast you can adjust. So, you know, speaking of, of things that are wrong, in previous conversations, we've talked about, you know, as marketers, perfecting certain campaigns that you're just mentally you're all in on and you're sure that they're going to work. They're going to be a huge success. And then like all, all for not, you know, it's just crickets when it launches. And, and so these are the fun things that we get to balance with our big wins. Sometimes we have big losses. Could you share some of those fun, like it didn't pan out the way you thought uh, campaigns? Eli, this is hardly what I call never talking about it again. Um, so <laughs> about a month ago, uh, we, we, we had mounted up for a big campaign. So a little bit more about Backblaze. Uh, we have two products. Uh, one is for $5 a month. We store all the data on your computer. Um, it's actually a great market leader in that space. Um, second product is B2 Cloud Storage. Also great. Uh, on the marketing guy, I'm not supposed to say it's cheap, but... Uh, it's a lot like Amazon's S3, just a quarter of the price, um, which tells you about Amazon's margins. Okay, so Stop uh, in, in, in July, um, we launch a campaign. We, we integrate with a partner and we will pay for your data migration out of Amazon to Backblaze. Backblaze will pay for it. And overnight, you will cut your cloud storage bill but in by 75%. It's unbelievable. I'm going to pay you to save money. Um, and no one goes toe to toe with Amazon because you have to be a lunatic, right? Like you don't, you don't go up to David and hit him in the face, yeah. get your slingshot out. Right? So this is a genius campaign, perfectly organized. I, you know, I personally take the lead, the VP of sales personally runs it from sales. Our CEO is, you know, involved and we are, the night before, kind of have our like quick, hey, all systems go meeting. And, you know, it, it's a good sign of a team. Like, hey, we're feeling really good about this. We did our jobs. This is going to be good. Like, we're all jumping off a cliff together. And jump off a cliff we did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what does that actually mean? You know, from a vanity standpoint, uh, I was talking about drive stats a second ago. We just published that. That got 1,500 shares in the first 24 hours. And that's about average for a big post for us. Um, this campaign, what we call cloud-to-cloud migration, got two comments in a month. Second one may or may not have been my mom. We're not checking the IPs. So it was crickets. And, you know, sort of similarly uh, horrifyingly lack of press coverage, 
social, like no negative thing. It was the worst kind of campaign. Like it was just met with indifference. Um, and sure, it's the dead of summer and sure, it's a pandemic and sure, a lot of things. But man, we bombed. We've, and we bombed on a really good message. Um, so that was probably a lot more context. But, you know, what are the lessons from that? We, our fundamental approach was we believed that taking a direct shot at Amazon was kind of newsworthy and noteworthy in and of itself. And it's the classic marketer's mistake. It's, it's thinking your customer cares about the stuff you care about when you're supposed to be doing the opposite. Uh, customers don't care that Backblaze is actually taking a business away from Amazon, uh, which we are. And we're really stoked on it. But customers care about saving money. Customers care about solving the complexity of their storage operations so they can get back to their business. Um, and we made that mistake of speaking it from our viewpoint as opposed to, hey, we think there's a world of customers out here with this problem and let me tell you how we're going to solve it. Does that make sense? Totally. So, and then maybe on the flip side, like have there been any campaigns that you put out the door that you weren't expecting tremendous results from that, that ended up becoming gold mines? Yeah, it's mostly entirely when I tell my team, well, you can do that if you want, but it's not going to work. <laughs> Um, my, my track record, I, I just, I got to stop forecasting is really the issue here. Um, and and so what are those, what are those times where it happens? Um, you know, look, we we end our blog posts with, you know, Hey, tell us about a time when it happens to you. All the, the, the very trite hallmarky, please, please, please leave us comments so we can engage with you. Um, we do that and you should, that's table stakes where we have hits invariably it comes from us going through the Reddit threads, going through the Twitter comments and looking at what other people are talking about. So it's, there are two big things. What are other people talking about? And can Backblaze lend a unique perspective to it? So, you know, we were really slow, for example, to publish, you know, when, when kind of uh, quarantine hit, across the country. You saw a lot of businesses emailing their customers saying, wow, COVID, and you know, we're gonna try to make this work. Um, which I certainly empathize with. Internally, we were having all those same conversations. But why does your customer care? What was unique about your business, about your message that should get into their crowded inbox? You know, what people were trying to do is establish that they're an employer that cares and we're taking care of our employees and we're nice people and we're good, which is all cool. But in the end, it's like, well, how am I making the customer's life better? Um, and so from a content perspective, you have to be ruthless about, does my company have a unique, unique view of value to share? If so, do it. Um, and, and even when it's arcane or particularly when it's super random and remote, because then you'll, if you have something unique to say about something that other people, other entities aren't talking about, you're going to draw in all those enthusiasts. And when you find something that even a small group of people are passionate about, it'll go. So as we kind of wind this down, I'm curious, you know, based on where you are at your career, you've had some amazing opportunities um, thus far, and it only kind of continues to build. Who are some of the folks in your life, whether they're they're mentors or just peers who have been influential, who you know you you look up to or who have helped you to get to where you are today? 
kind of give you two, one directly, one indirect. Um, so uh, I'm just going to keep going before you can stop me. Um, one of them, a, a mentor of mine, his name is Pat Connolly. He's the founding CMO at Williams-Sonoma. Um, we started a, a, a direct uh, response wine business together. Um, and so both just like general career Sherpa-ing, um, which is incredibly helpful, um, but also uh, learning the mechanics of uh, collaborative databases, which is you know how the catalog industry grew up. Um, being able to learn that from the ground up um, was super important for my career because in the end, those mechanics it is where lookalike modeling came from. And, and for the real nerds out there, it's RFM, recency, frequency, monetary value. Um, the catalogers were the first ones that figured it out. Um, the folks at eBay were super sophisticated in translating it uh, online early on. And there was multiple people there, but there's kind of a Williams-Sonoma and eBay connection, no Bayer companies. Um, and so then, you know, as Google, Facebook, and these ad networks pop up, these are just derivations. So really having an understanding of the source material has been huge for my career. Um, so that's good. The other one, more universally applicable, Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Now, you might be asking, that name sounds familiar. Yes, yes, it is the chairman of the WWE. What? <laughs> it is my contention that professional wrestling is today America's most important art form. It is the purest form of storytelling we have. Um, and everybody laughs. As did the Georgetown government department when I wrote my undergraduate thesis on wrestling and boy bands. That, uh, that hadn't happened before, apparently. Um, so I say it with a smile on my face, although I do watch somewhere in the quant in the zip code of two hours of professional wrestling a week. Why? Because it actually is pure storytelling. I mean, you can watch soap operas and novellas too for, for the same thing. It's, it's coming from a heritage of if you have a complete lack of context, how can you tell a story to a large crowd, even though you're midway through the story? And yeah, I mean, look, in the end, it's professional wrestling. It's pretty cheesy. Um, but the mechanics of how they work through that and their response to the crowd, that is, they, they make their living by responding to the crowd and responding to the customer. Um, so that actually has been huge in my life. And also I get to talk about professional wrestling in wildly inappropriate settings. Um, so <laughs> first, by the way, first retired hand model, I'm like sliced alone. I just, I no, no more. I've seen too much. Um, but also <laughs> I, I, I think the first guy to, to extol the virtues of professional, professional wrestling on your, on your podcast. Uh, certainly true. And, and I hope you've, you've, you're probably a regular over at hood slam in the East Bay. For uh, for your cheesy in-person wrestling fix, I I I, I actually embarrassingly, I'll admit, I have not yet gone. What? I know, I know, I know. It is, it is part. It is, it is not something I'm proud of. All right, it's something I look forward to, to, to remedying. Well, at least you have. You're leaving this call. We're leaving this call with a bunch of great insights in the marketing world. You're leaving this call with homework. Uh, yes, sir. And I, I look forward to reporting back in on it. <laughs> Great having you, Ahin. Thank you. Thank you.